Welcome to another episode of What Happens Next. I'm Dr. Susan Carland. In this episode, we'll hear from experts at the coalface of making immigration and diversity work in Australia. How are they taking action to help increase diversity and inclusion in our society? And why does it benefit us all? Hi, my name is Belle Shank. I'm the Victorian Coordinator of Welcoming Cities. We work with local governments around Australia to make them more inclusive and welcoming. Belle Shank, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You work for an organisation called Welcoming Cities. What makes a city a welcoming city? It is a hard question to answer because a lot of what makes it welcoming isn't something that you would see. Talking about like a bit of an iceberg approach where it might look very welcoming on the surface, but underneath is where the work's done. So we work in policy. We work with local governments and trying to change their policy and try to influence change in their policy. So something that you could see might be signs in different languages, uh, books in different languages in local libraries, for example, uh, also accessible and inclusive places and spaces. What does that look, what's an accessible or inclusive space? So an example of that might be your local swimming pool, which might be run by your local council. So do they have uh, signs in different languages, for example? Do they have spaces where women feel safe to go swimming? For example, do they shut the swimming pool down for an hour a week even? So right, women, for women's only yeah, sessions. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Women can feel very safe to go there and not have to worry about what they're dressing in um, yeah, how they feel and that sort of stuff. Uh, do facilities have prayer spaces for people to use, for example? A lot of people, you might not think about that, so maybe the average person on the street doesn't really think about that if they don't need to use those spaces, but there are a lot of people that do want those things and, and should be able to have them. Okay, so you told me about the, if we're looking at it as an iceberg, you told me about the things that you'd see, but that, as you said, is just the 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 top of the iceberg, the above the water, what is? what are the things, the less tangible things that are existing below the water that make for a welcoming city? So that's when the policy comes into it and we don't really know about a certain city's multicultural action plan, for example. We don't really get to see that as much as we might like to or a planning application that has multiculturalism at its heart, for example. So that's sort of the work that's done underneath. So we, we talk about policy and how policy can influence what we see all the time. So a planning application might have information about accessibility for multicultural communities, but that's not going to be, we're not going to make a big song and dance about that and talk about it in the media, for example. It's just going to happen and it's just going to be the norm and that's what we hope to be in the future. So Bendigo recently became Australia's first accredited welcoming city. What did they have to do to get the the big stamp from you guys? Yeah, so I wanted to acknowledge that it's quite a brave thing to be the first city in Australia to be accredited uh, towards the welcoming city standard. What they did was gave us all of their policies, all of their projects. They gave us so much information and we work with Monash University actually to to accredit them to really it's basically an audit where we'll you know sit down and and look at policies plans talk to the community which is really important because you know you can have all the policy you can have the under the iceberg stuff but you've got to you know have the over the iceberg stuff so 
we go out and talk to community members and say, how do you feel? Like mm. what, what groups are you involved in? Do you find them welcoming? Do you find them inclusive? You know, have you experienced racism? And if you have, what happened? Mm. How, was that, how was that responded to? So things like that. And is Bendigo a pretty multicultural city? It is, and it's becoming much more so. It was it was quite interesting. I mean, I, I won't claim to be an expert on Bendigo, but in the gold rush, it was incredibly multicultural because a lot of people went to Bendigo to to find wealth. But then after the gold rush, it, it became less so, but now it's building up again. And why do you think Bendigo decided to put it at their hand and say, we want to go for this? Well... I think, I mean, four or five years ago, maybe even longer, they had a few problems, well, quite a few problems with the building of the community centre that had the mosque uh, as part of it. Tell us about that for people that might not be familiar with that story. Yeah, so um, there were people that were very against this. There were very right-wing extremist people that thought that this is not welcome in the Bendigo community. Building a mosque in Bendigo. Building a mosque in Bendigo or building a a community centre centre of which a mosque was a part of. They didn't want it in the centre. Uh, there were protests in the streets, for example. People didn't feel like it was a friendly place to become to, to be part of. Um, the council got involved, which is really a good thing to see because there is a lot of leadership that can happen in council and a lot of um, a lot of information can be parted to community members through council, through newsletters and things like that. So the riots, I mean they, you know, it's it was a small percentage, but it was a loud percentage, and that, I think that's the problem with a lot of very very loud. I want to say men, but I'll say people, but very loud people who want to make their views known, who think that they own a community, which they obviously don't, and and wanted to make it very clear that other people were not welcome to to really practice their religion or to practice their culture. It's obviously it's not a view that most people that would be listening to this podcast would agree with. Uh, but I think they did want to influence policy and influence culture and get people on board to to make sure that this mosque didn't get built. It didn't work. I mean, the, the mosque still hasn't been built, but there, so there was a bit of a, a lag in it. But I think Bendigo did suffer a bit of reputational damage because of that. And I'm not saying that Welcoming Cities accreditation is going to fix that, like, you know, clicking a finger. But they have worked so hard with their policy and they have become so much more welcoming in that time and they'll continue to do so. So a city or a town gets this accreditation. What's the benefit from then? What For the community, for people who might want to visit, what do they get? They get to know that there's a council that is trying and always trying to be better. Uh, from a council point of view, they get to know what they're doing well, but also what they need to improve on and what, what they can improve on um, with time and with uh, resources and and things like that. Uh, I guess they get a bit of a, a pat on the back to know that they've, you know, been one of the first to go through the accreditation and, and know where they sit. I guess you can't really say I'm a welcoming city and not have something to back it up. So so we've looked at their policies and we've said this is actually a really good way of doing the planning permits, for example, or this is a really good way of... Uh, your Aboriginal Action Plan, for example, is excellent because it has First Nations at the heart of everything you do. It really acknowledges that that there were people that lived here before us and they have so much that there's so much that can be learned from them. 
Helen Suvchuk has a unique insight into the China-Australia relationship. Among her many hats, she's the former national CEO of the Australia-China Business Council. She explains why the two countries are so deeply connected and why that relationship is so important not only to our economy, but our society as well. Welcome, Helen. Thanks, Susan. Great to be here. What do you see as some of the potential impacts of the drop in immigration numbers in Australia post-COVID? COVID has actually been a pretty interesting test case for us, what a drop in migration will be, and not just migration, but also travel to this country. Um, Tourism and uh, international students have basically stopped coming to Australia, and that has had a devastating uh, economic impact on Australia. Last year, and particularly from from mainland China, I mean, a year ago before COVID, 1.4 million Chinese tourists came to our country and more than 100,000 international students. Mm. And for the tourism industry, um, it's a $150 billion industry in this country. One in 13 jobs is dependent upon the tourism industry. And in certain country, uh, areas like Cairns, it's actually one in three. So it has had a devastating impact. Um, the travel bans have had a devastating impact. But if migration and people no longer want to come to Australia, that'll be long term. So it's something we really need to think about. And I imagine not just... Uh, significant economic impact, but what do you think could be the social impact? Oh, enormous. I mean, from China, we have more than 1 million people who are residents, citizens of this country, who are of Chinese heritage. Um, And a lot of the trips which people make from mainland China um, is for family reunions. Um, So it's a devastating blow to think um, that people from mainland China don't want to come here when a large chunk of our population is in fact of Chinese heritage. Politically, we are at a low point, um, probably one of the lowest points since 1972 when we established diplomatic relations. But having said that, business to business and people to people connections between Australia and China have never been stronger. Uh, We have now hit a record of bilateral trade of over $240 billion. And that's despite political tensions, despite the global pandemic and all the logistical challenges. Uh, People to people connections have also incredibly strong with education exchanges, family reunions, um, and tourists that really still want to come here. So it's, it's, it's a testament to the extraordinary strength and of the longstanding friendship between our two nations, which I think are not truly represented by the public political tensions, which are unfortunately being played out in the media. Um, And I think the Australian media also has a lot to answer for with respect to the anti-China narrative that has been um, promulgated in most recent years and contributed to the tension. So you feel that while there is a sort of a high level uh, discord In community sentiment, it's actually not too bad. You think that we could weather this storm, China and Australia together? I do. I think we're in a low rut at the moment um, and the political tensions uh, really don't reflect of what is the, the true essence of the relationship. What's giving you hope in when you look forward to the, you know, when you look into the future about the relationship uh, between either Australia and China or just Australia and um, its attitude towards migration and immigration in general, what gives you a sense of positivity? I think um, speaking to people. I think that um, if you read the media, it doesn't really represent what people at the coalface uh, experience. So speaking to, and speaking to young people too, I think that when you speak to young people, issues of prejudice and, um, and you know, old ways 
they're really just thrown out the window. So that gives me great hope that they can come to the parties with a clean slate. Um, and young people yeah, from all walks of life. Hi, I'm Marie Seagrave. I'm a researcher at Monash with the Monash Gender and Family Violence Prevention Centre and the Monash Migration and Inclusion Centre. What can the person who's listening at home who wants to in, you know, help increase a more diverse society or encourage a more open attitude towards migration in Australia, what can they do? Well, as someone with small children, I think one of the small things you can do is encourage the celebration of all the various celebrations of different communities in um, and different cultures within our community. I think it's amazing to understand that people celebrate different things and to learn about those celebrations and traditions because traditions generally are wonderful ways to learn about difference and just to realise that actually there's so much value in that. So that's a really in a way, a small kind of example and... Um, it means there's a party all year. Yeah, it does. And and, um, and lollies and all of those sorts of things. <laughs> so what does it matter what the celebration is? But I think when you when all of those things are part of the everyday, that now it's this celebration and it's not... In my family, we wouldn't celebrate that, but at school we recognise what this is and we learn about that. There's much to be gained from that. And I think... Um, I think that's true also in thinking about Indigenous cultures and understanding the need both to recognise harm and and uh, and the challenges and the and the important recognition of our history in the same the same way we need to understand other histories that are marked by violence and um, and uh, and various forms of power and its and its impact, but also to recognise that we need to celebrate things and that knowing bits and pieces of different languages and learning about different cultures means from a young age people recognise that we, we're we're all <laughs> just who we are and we bring that together. I think that's I think that's really critical. I think the average person doesn't really think about social cohesion when they wake up. They don't kind of go, I want my world to be more socially cohesive and welcoming. It's just something that you feel. So some examples of social cohesion in action, uh, I'll, I'll talk about the Knox Toy Library. Mm. Uh, so City of Knox, who are a welcoming city member, they have the Toy Library and a couple of years, years ago they realised that all the toys were very white. So the dolls had white skin uh, the books they had in the library had very white characters, puzzles, for example, white. And a lot of people that were accessing the toy library were from a certain demographic, so white people. And it didn't reflect the society that, that lives in the city of Knox. So they worked with us to very, very simply buy more toys that reflected the community. So, yeah, toys that had different colour skin, well, not skin because they're toys, but reflected yeah, a different, <laughs> different colour fur. <laughs> um, and then they they um, they translated uh, some of their collateral into different languages, which encouraged older people to take their grand grandchildren to the toy library and really uh, interact with other people that were using the toy library. It was a really beautiful thing that that shows the community that you are welcoming and inclusive, but it doesn't kind of, you know, it's not boring in the way that it's written in policy. It's just, it, it's fact. And this is, you know, we can use this toy library. We're invited to use this toy library. And here is a doll that looks exactly like me and I'm going to use it. 
Hi, I'm Rebecca Wicks. I'm the director of the Monash Migration and Inclusion Centre at Monash University. What actions do you think individuals can take if they want to improve their connection to and acceptance of diversity in Australia? You know, it's it's interesting. Um, when we moved to Melbourne, my husband had he decided to early to retire early, and he didn't really have a lot to do when he came down here. We were living in a rental place, and so he wasn't able to do any kind of renovation. And he was he was really like, "What am I going to do?" And I said, "Why don't you take a a course to teach English, and why don't you go and work with recent migrants and help them to learn English?" And so he he did that, and he loves it. And he meets with a um, a man named she, well, I probably shouldn't say the name. He meets with a lovely a lovely older gentleman from China, who can read really well but can't speak very well. And they meet once a week. And during COVID, they just call and have a chat. And um, this gentleman's coming over and having lunch with Pete next week. And they have formed this really lovely friendship. And that is the simplest thing that someone can do is to just find a way to give a small amount of themselves to someone else and open up an entirely new world and learn a skill about how you communicate something new and distinct to a, a recent arrival in Australia. It's It really doesn't cost much. In fact, it costs nothing other than a small amount of time. So I would highly recommend that people who, you know, to look around at your your community and say, you know, is my community really homogenous? Are we all sort of the same? And if the answer is yes, then... To, to take baby steps because it is scary. You know, you don't want to just plonk someone in the middle of Fitzroy and say, hey, go at it, you know, when they've lived in a predominantly Anglo-Saxon community. It's scary for people when they don't, when they don't understand um, new circumstances and situations. So a baby step, and that could be through a church activity. It could be through joining um, a community group. It can be through working at a community hub. Um, lots of things that people can do. I just reread this beautiful article that was written by one of my absolute all-time favorite urban sociologists, uh, Elijah Anderson, and he wrote a book. And then it, uh, I, I reread the art, an article that came from that, which was called "The Cosmopolitan Canopy," and it was about about the kinds of spaces that exist in particular communities where all walks of life can be. And these spaces are not, you know, these spaces are, are these wonderful places where people can just go and watch diversity. They don't have to partake if they don't want to. They don't have to speak to other people if they don't want to. But they can watch it all unfold in this kind of safe way, and it might be through eating or consuming products. But you can you can visualize it. And I think about, like, the Victoria Market or I think about South Melbourne Markets where, you know, or even the Dandenong Markets where you can just see such rich diversity um, and different walks of life. And you can just be a voyeur, and that can be our first step to or towards understanding. But the other thing that, that Elijah Anderson was talking about, about with these spaces is that these areas um, are safe in as much as you can go up to someone who's different and you can ask questions about what sort of, you know, really interesting ramen are they eating? Or, you know, what's that fantastic Ethiopian dish that you're serving? And why would you eat that? And why don't you, you know, why do you use the spongy bread as opposed to a fork? Where sort of questions that may be banal and mundane can be asked in a safe way. And that allows people an opportunity to learn about a culture without being afraid of saying something wrong or doing something wrong, um, making a faux pas, offending someone. 
Um, and people will go there because they know that that's a place where that can happen. And so I was thinking about that even in my own work about what are our cosmopolitan canopies? Where are our places in the city where we can encourage newcomers to visit and to go and to experience different aspects of life and to break down a little bit of that anxiety so that they are ready to understand other people's experiences and lives and to take that on board and hopefully change some of the more punitive attitudes that, that some members of our society hold. Very, be very open to understanding that people live differently to the way you might live. Um, and be very open to learning about that. One of the other things I think people don't think about too much is that never underestimate the power, power of asking for something. So, you know, we work with local councils, so they listen, and I don't think people understand that councils actually listen. So if people ring up or, or write to the open line and say, hey, you know, this park needs more accessibility, I don't feel safe, I don't feel welcome, what can you do? That's going to be listened to. Like I think councils need to listen to that sort of stuff and really act on that. Um, other things to do include... Uh, um, yeah, think about your own migrant journey. Most of us have a migrant story, uh, whether it's our parents or grandparents or, or those before us. Think about what they went through when they came to Australia and how they might have felt and how others might be feeling in comparison to them. Mm. Say hi to people in the street. Celebrate your neighbours. Celebrate differences as well. I have a great uh, multicultural story with my own neighbours. Uh, I'm Muslim, and we, which means we don't drink at all. And my husband got a very expensive bottle of alcohol sent to him as a present, which I gave to my neighbours because I said, we don't drink, would you like this? And they said yes. And I thought, isn't this great yep. multicultural <laughs> engagement? <laughs> I got some bread on my doorstep just yesterday, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I, I feel like, yeah, neighbours, it's where it happens. And that, that spreads out over periods of time. So you meet your neighbours and then yeah. maybe the neighbours meet their neighbours and, and everybody becomes friends. You just give each other the food that you can't <laughs> eat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Belsheng, thank you so much. Thank you. That is it for this episode and for this topic. We will be back next time with a brand new conundrum to unpack. Thanks to all our guests today and it was great to hear about all the things they're doing to make Australia better. I'll catch you next time on What Happens Next. <laughs>